every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to a special bonus episode of Notably Disney, where we're highlighting the recent soundtrack release of Avengers Endgame by Alan Silvestri. This is, no doubt, the biggest film of the year, perhaps one of the most monumental films of our generation, and it's worth examining the music behind the culmination of an 11-year string of films within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Needless to say, this episode will have spoilers regarding the film, so consider yourself warned, starting at the point when I say, spoiler alert. First, some background on Silvestri's work for the MCU and Disney more broadly. He is responsible for three films prior to this one for Marvel Cinematic Universe, so that includes 2011's Captain America, The First Avenger, 2012's I should say, The Avengers, and 2018's Avengers Infinity War. With each, he placed his unique stamp, whether it be the pomp and circumstance of World War II-era First Avenger, the ultimate hero theme that we heard first in The Avengers, or the gravitas of Avengers Infinity War. Though there is no singular voice in the MCU, because there have been so many composers over the years, Silvestri is a more consistent one and lends his more than four decades work of film score experience to crafting perhaps the most epic and one of the more winning Marvel music experiences to date. Now going to Disney, his work dates as far back as 1985's sci-fi flick Flight of the Navigator. He is also best known for Nancy Meyer's Sweet and Light score for 1998's remake of The Parent Trap, 2002 animated classic Lilo and Stitch, a 2006 Disney distributed animated film called The Wild, Image Mover Digital's A Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey, released in 2009. So a bunch of different films. For Touchstone, He wrote the scores for 1987's Outrageous Fortune, 1988's Who Framed Roger Rabbit, 1991's Father of the Bride and its 1995 sequel, and 1998's Holy Man. For Hollywood Pictures, he was responsible for 1993's Super Mario Brothers and 1995's Judge Dredd. So as you can tell, he has indeed written a lot for the company over the past 35 years. So now we shift into Endgame. From perilous action-packed set pieces 
to quiet, affectionate moments between parents and children, Silvestri captures such intensity and warmth, too. The score brings in a bunch of new themes and enrapturing moments, and is even influenced by some of his best work, including 80s favorites Back to the Future and Who Framed Roger Rabbit, or even more recent hits like Ready Player One, which essentially is a postcard to the 80s. Collectively, he has created an original score that builds on some of the best aspects of his previous pieces for the MCU, and really his many years legacy in this industry. So though I will be reviewing the tracks in the order in which they are presented on the soundtrack, do be aware that a few tracks are not presented chronologically. All right then. So with that said, I will now dive into each of the tracks, inserting little clips throughout. Spoiler alert time. First up, we have Totally Fine, which takes place when the God of Thunder puts an end to Thanos. The misery, as illustrated in the beautiful use of strings, reflects the hardship that our mighty Avengers have faced throughout the journey, and seemingly the end with Thanos' demise. I love how this harkens back to the porch scene that concluded Infinity War with Thanos at peace. Now it's flipped on its head no pun intended, with our heroes instead reconciling the death of their ultimate villain. This track is particularly moving based on conveying the gravity of the situation. More than halfway through, it becomes more ethereal and celestial, very slow and measured. but this slowly crescendos into what feels like an entire orchestra. Very exciting. Second track is Arrival. This serves as a tribute to Tony Stark, who was miraculously recovered by Carol Danvers, or Captain Marvel, as we know, after what seems like an impossible situation. There's a certain sweetness in this piece that meshes together a few scenes and calmly uses woodwinds and piano about one minute in. The third track is No Trust. This relays the tension between Cap and Tony, and there are a few subtle nods to Steve Rogers with the brass signals the heroic American soldier. This track takes place when our heroes are formulating a plan to reverse what unfolded. As Black Widow says, we owe to everyone not in this room to try. A recurring measure, albeit tender, heightens the tension. There is constant building of excitement, and it builds to our Avengers theme once Steve Rogers proclaims that they should forge ahead and get Thanos. Consequently, we have to recognize that this track should technically be situated earlier in the soundtrack. Fourth is Where Are They? This begins extremely tense with an ongoing repetitive motion, mostly strings, but complemented by brass. Much like certain tracks being out of order, this one should technically proceed totally fine, as this one lands when the Avengers are about to find Thanos. The back and forth routine of the brass reinforces the peril and dueling nature that will soon unfold. 
classic Silvestri echoes much of his work for the original Avengers soundtrack with this piece. Fifth is Becoming Whole Again. This is set five years after that infamous, infamous snap, showing the despondent citizens trying to get by in this new world that they occupy. It's extremely sad and features some chilling orchestration, particularly toward the beginning. At about the 2 minute 12 mark, we find Scott Lang realizing what unfolded while he was in the quantum realm. It's fast-paced with the strings, conveying his anxiety over finding out if he, in fact, lost Cassie. But then it slows down at about 2 minutes and 48 seconds when he reconnects with an older version of his daughter. I think there might be a harp at one point, and in combination with the rings, this entirely captures Scott's sensitivity and the love that he has for his daughter. Some of the moments with the solo harp, if, if it in fact is a harp, it sure sounds like it, uh, felt direct like it came out of Joel McNeely's score for Return to Neverland, which was Disney's 2002 animated sequel to Peter Pan. I'm not sure if that was on his mind, but that's instantly what I thought of. It's an odd comparison, but sometimes a few pieces from a score can take you to another, and that's what definitely uh, came across here. Number six is I Figured It Out, and this lifts material directly from Infinity War's track, No More Surprises. And this takes place during a tender conversation between Tony and Pepper. In this case, in Endgame, I should say, the quiet piece is centered on Tony and his young daughter, Morgan. In many ways, it feels like it harkens back to the sweetness from Back to the Future, as well as perhaps some classic family films. Sylvester strikes the right notes. There's not a lot going on in the track, as only a handful of instruments are used. Uh, the, but the parts involving the woodwinds are especially good. I also really appreciate the 1 minute 14 mark that shows Tony's wheels turning as to how to make time travel work. At about 1 minute and 48 seconds in, you can tell that he has indeed figured it out with the mounting sound. This builds, but in contrast with the gentleness when his daughter enters the scene, we see that Tony has become a nurturing father um, and you know, joking about cursing in front of his daughter. Uh, once again, though, this piece is very slow and soft. The 3 minute 13 mark is also particularly good in conveying the sentimentality of the scene. Track number 7 is called Perfectly Not Confusing, and this covers a lot of ground taking place when they test the time machine and eventually head back in time. Nice percussion in the background, and other cues carry across Captain America's theme and certain moments from the first Avenger film, especially at the 1 minute 50 mark. And as I said earlier, Sylvester was responsible for that score back in 2011. So what a nice throwback that offers major fan service. Number eight is You Shouldn't Be Here, and it's an intense, heart-pumping portion that finds Hawkeye turned vigilante in Tokyo as his new persona, Ronin, 
some great string screeching at the 55 second mark to convey the peril and seemingly pure evil that he now exudes. But as we know, it comes from the pain that he has experienced from losing his family. This is most evident at around the 2 minute 30 second mark when we feel the somberness that Clint, Hawkeye, Ronan, however you want to call him, has experienced over recent years. He is a changed man, and the stirring score, much in the vein of how the film opened with him and his family, is quite moving. Number nine is The How Works, uh, which begins with a slower, very deliberate version of the Avengers theme. When we get a version of it with the woodwinds at the 22nd mark under the main strings and percussion is absolutely startling. There's so many cool variations of that theme packed within the first 50 seconds. But then we shift into Thor's retelling of experiences with a cool, chill 60s jazz, jazz vibe, and it feels straight out of Michael Giacchino's playbook. There's nice piano too. This totally resonates with the big Lebowski persona that Tony calls him, uh, this new version of Thor. And the heist-like vibe when they're developing their game plan is very much in the vein of Christoph Beck's hip Ant-Man score. Needless to say, this is quite cool. And Silvestri repeats this uh, type of uh, vibe once again in the In Plain Sight track, which is later in the soundtrack. Number 10 is Snap Out of It. And this is a fun play on words for the track, but it's actually quite a somber track. This Nordic style piece, very somber, could be out of Patrick Doyle's Brave, um, but in fact it's focused on Thor returning to Asgard and seeing his mom. We see a lot of sweet love melodies in this movie, not always romantic relationships, but ones that reflect the care and love that people feel for their relatives and close friends. And this is a nice tender moment between Thor and Frigga. Number 11 is so many stairs, as Hulk says. This transports us back to the aftermath of the invasion of New York in 2012 with tense music and heist vibes, as well as what the percussion. It's also a bit funny and playful at moments, like the one minute 32 second mark as Hulk laments that he cannot take the elevator due to his weight, but rather must take those stairs. And it's sure a big staircase. Track number 12 is called One Shot, and this conveys the implications of having but one singular attempt at rewriting the past in this alternate universe of sorts. Once again, the Avengers theme seeps in a bit, such as at the 33 second mark. This is very motivating because we see this as a full, cir full circle journey for our Avengers friends, many of them going back to the place where it all began, New York. Number 13 is called Watch Each Other's Six, and this unfolds in 2014 with the 2014 version of The Ultimate Baddie. 
While not particularly memorable, it exudes the chilling nature of what Thanos represents. You know he enters the space in a startling way when the brass comes out in full force. Number 14 is I Can't Risk This. This is such a fun opportunity for Cap to revisit his past. Has a playful espionage-like tone to it at times, particularly at the 1 minute 15 second mark, which is a nice bit of fun in what is otherwise such an overwhelming movie. Eventually, though, it becomes more tense, such as the pulsating rhythm and clanking at around 2 minutes and 30 seconds when Cap encounters the Hydra crew. There is a quiet yet frightful undertone to this, which is later settled and becomes more action-packed once again at about 3.5 minutes when he confronts his old self. Next track is called He Gave It Away. It's just as mystical as one would expect when the Ancient One, played by Tilda Swinton, is on screen. The wisdom of this Sorceress Supreme is conveyed with the otherworldly use of strings. Very ethereal and odd, uh, but nonetheless awesome, toward the beginning of the track. We can recognize the enormity of what Bruce Banner's handling in having this conversation with her as illustrated by Sylvester's rushed pacing at times. Following this is The Tool of a Thief, and this is set during the scene on Morag featuring Rhodey and Nebula. It has a suspenseful, suspenseful vibe, I should say, with the strings and woodwinds feeling very eerie and uncertain. This rises to a really good point at about a minute and a half in, and I would say it feels straight out of an Indiana Jones film of sorts, with that sense of discovery and optimism. The 17th track is called The Measure of a Hero, and it feels very sentimental with an epic longing, because this comes at a point when Thor really needs some hope. I especially like the point at around the 57 second mark, when his conversation with Frigga, his mom, reinforces his drive to be the best possible version of himself. We hear a few instances of that Nordic, Viking-like flair, which is very much welcomed. The tenderness is such a contrast uh, with the intensity that we have seen throughout most of the middle and eventually the latter part of the film. Number 18 is called Destiny Fulfilled and gives Thanos another opportunity to shine when the 2014 version of the baddie realizes that the Avengers are out to get him in the future. It's purely evil with the chilling brass. Eventually, at about 2 minutes and 10 seconds in, it becomes absolutely frenetic when we recognize that he has the, this knowledge, and this will hold major implications for the rest of the film, and certainly on the entire Avengers team. Nineteen is called In Plain Sight, and it takes Tony back to the 70s full of its grooviness, 
and Silvestri once again channels Giacchino with this jazzy style vibe. At one point he weaves in a heart-pounding Avengers theme and then conjures some of the work he had produced more than 30 years ago for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, I definitely got some a sense of that um, because you know that film is beloved for its 40s era blues and jazz and once we hit the two minute mark we get this and I swear that some of this feels like it could be right out of The Incredibles in the best possible way. What a testament to Silvestri's range and that he demonstrates that he can pull a Roger Rabbit out of a figurative hat even decades later. I, I really feel like In Plain Sight represents if The Incredibles and Roger Rabbit had a baby. Just totally cool. Number 20 is called How Do I Look? And it's one of the shorter tracks, just over two minutes. It has a momentum very driving. Nothing terribly memorable here, but it comes at a pivotal moment when present-day Nebula falls under old Thanos' control. The percussion conveys the doom associated with her plan falling through. 21 is called Whatever It Takes. It's not only the track name, but also the phrase that moviegoers most associated with that trailer. In the score, however, here we are met by our friend Captain America revisiting the past and finding Peggy in the 70s. How sad it is that he cannot be with his one true love. That is evident at around the 1 minute 15 mark with the quiet melody. The quite understated yet monumental love theme at around 2 minutes 20 seconds is also quite powerful. Silvestri conveys the longingness with aplomb. Twenty-two is called Not Good. It's extremely ominous and for all the right reasons. The pounding drums in the background that starts off the track illustrates the jeopardy that Natasha and Clint will soon face. The same theme from Infinity War with Gamora's death comes into play here once again very appropriately and reinforces how devastating it is for someone to make a sacrifice. The track becomes absolutely overwhelming at 1 minute 18 seconds when we come to appreciate that there is no going away from the fact that Black Widow is no more. A soul for a soul, as they say. And this track has deep soul, no doubt. 23 is called Gotta Get Out, and it starts with a very unearthly, strange sound that is aligned with Hawkeye waking up after obtaining the Soul Stone. 23. I would say, is the growing eeriness at about the 50-second mark, quickly intensifying in all the right ways. This is classic Silvestri at his best. 
next up is I Was Made For This. It's slow and sensible in expressing the repercussions of the Avengers traveling back in time. This is when they find out about Natasha's death. Twenty-five is called Trace Amigos and finds Cap, Thor, and Tony about to work against Thanos. Much like some of the other tracks, Sylvester lifts her and cues from Infinity War, but that's quite alright, since this is indeed a second part in a two-part film. At the 1 minute 55 second mark, it's extremely threatening with super fast strings, and this just expands the intensity of what will unfold for the last hour of the movie. 26 is called Tunnelscape, and it finds Clint in a horror movie of sorts when he is escaping from Thanos' creepy creatures in the sewer-like tunnel underground the Avengers' compound. It's slow but effective in conveying the uncertainty. 2 minutes 47 seconds it gets a bit intense and has a more epic flair which Sylvester generally succeeds at throughout the film. Nothing particularly distinct but it accomplishes the job of investing us in the characters. Next up is Worth It. It's extremely frenetic to illustrate the magnitude of the fight. When Cap finds himself being able to wield Thor's hammer, Mjolnir, at the 1 minute, 70, 1 minute 7 second mark, I should say, you know you're in for a treat. The whole track is so epic with its full force brass. Absolutely excellent. Alright, and then number 28 is called Portals, and this comes at a pivotal moment. It's when all the different characters we know from the Marvel Cinematic Universe coming to the scene to help Cap fight Thanos and his army. With the full-on orchestra and set during a key turning point, it's apparent that the music has reached a pinnacle. There's nothing more epic than this in the entire score. The Avengers theme comes out shortly after two minutes in, but this time we see that it has expanded beyond, far beyond the original six, so it's no longer just, you know, the likes of Iron Man and Thor, but we now, over the course of this decade-long experience, we have a full team that represents a whole league of heroes and allies. Next is get this thing started, and it packs the punch, because that's what we see a lot of during this confrontation. It's an epic fight scene brewing between our heroes against Thanos and his crew. There's a lot of nice little cues that are dispersed throughout, uh, such as uh, nods to Wakanda at around 1 minute 13 seconds. Just an overall great track to carry out the massive set pieces and many characters having special moments too. The One is a short track that refers to the one shot that Tony has had to make things right. It's a feverish race against time and missed opportunities in the past. Silvestri embraces this seriousness quite well. Then it's You Did Good. Could not be more somber. It finds Pepper Potts lamenting the end of her beloved Tony. We're gonna be okay. You can rest now. 
she says. Everything slows down, because so has our first hero that we fell in love with. Silvestri captures the stillness in such an appropriate way. Thirty-two is called The Real Hero. It's a sweeping movement that shows all of our favorite characters, and even those we have forgotten about, grieving the loss of Tony. It's one of Silvestri's finest pieces in the film. This track swells at about 1 minute 18 seconds when we see everyone reacting to his death. It's so tender and prevailing, and even in its relative simplicity, I especially like it when we get a bit of an ethereal undercurrent at around 2 minutes 30 seconds, which is almost reminiscent to how alone Tony felt at the start of the film when he thought he was going to die then. Then it comes back here. By around 4 minutes and 30 seconds, we hear some guitar, which, to my knowledge, was maybe the first time we've heard the use of that instrument in the whole film, or at least it wasn't pronounced. Um, but this is nice, and it conveys the peace that we have now experienced, despite the tragedy of Tony's passing. Five seconds is a brief moment that harkens back to the original Captain America theme, uh, which comes in at around 32 seconds. It's short, but carries the importance of him being able to have a happy ending. Number 34 is called Go Ahead. It continues with the Cap storyline, with Silvestri expressing such a grand and wistful sentiment as Steve passes the shield over to Sam. I love the two-minute mark that has some hints of the past with its moving qualities. I obviously think of Back to the Future a lot in terms of how the first film ended in kind of a maudlin manner, but I would say it's purely lovely. That's the best way of putting it. Number 35 is called Main on Ends, and it comes to surface during the end credits when all of the characters, and I mean all of them, are highlighted. It comes across as triumphant in showing the scale of the MCU over the past 11 years. How celebratory and wonderful, especially as he weaves together multiple themes. Silvestri accomplishes very fine work with this three-minute piece that feels like it could have come out of an old Hollywood epic. Then, at about the two-minute mark, we once again see each of the main original six Avengers come onto the screen, each having a moment to shine, and it's very appropriate that we hear their signature theme one last time. So there you have it. This is a real winner of a score. I'd say it's snappy and ultra-satisfying. I raise my shield and my sincere appreciation to Silvestri. Thank you very much for crafting such a fitting soundtrack to a movie that we have all been anticipating for quite a long time. Without the proper composer's touch, this would not have conveyed the same meaning, but he flourishes in making sure that all of the significant cues from previous films are preserved. He pays homage to character themes, and he creates a ton of new favorites. I would say there's some really good moments that emerge in the Becoming Whole Again and Portals tracks in particular. 
Most importantly, he strikes a wonderful stability in both offering some affecting moments that will prompt you to shed a tear, or on the other hand, rouse you up with some exhilarating, if not at times absolutely chaotic motion. So cheers to Silvestri for delivering what I would say is his best score in years, perhaps his best since the late 90s. On the next edition of Notably Disney, I'll be reviewing the new book, Top Disney 100 Top 10 Lists of the Best of Disney from the Man to the Mouse and Beyond, and I'll be speaking with its author, Christopher Lucas, so I hope you join me then. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports. And be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.